The pass from Havili was magic. The shift on for Crotty. Boom, far down you go, Quaggett Smith. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that. Yes, boy. Sit back, relax, put your belt on, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Draft Rugby Show, where we discuss the game they play online in heaven. I'm Nelson, and I'll be your host for this evening. If you're wondering about where Kagi is, he has been shafted after having two terrible weeks of fantasy footy, so we don't think he can uh, actually tell people, you know, info about rugby anymore because he's just he doesn't seem to know what he's talking about. Uh, so yeah, he's been relegated. But tonight I'm I'm joined by my co-host and brother Harry. Harry, how are you doing? Very good, mate. Two from two from myself, just like you. So been a good couple of weeks and very excited for our special guest tonight. Refreshing to have a special guest. Refreshing not to have Kagi on board for this evening. Double whammy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, make sure you give us a like and follow on all our socials. The tag is at Draft Rugby. We're pretty easy to see. We're pretty pretty out and about all the time on all those socials as well. More and more content as we go. All right, for our entree tonight, we're going to review Draft Rugby Round 2 with a little more focus on statistics with our special guest, Brandon Shields, from at Rugby Ecology. You might have seen him on Twitter. You might have seen him on The Raw. Or green and gold rugby, green and gold, yeah. Um, and he's also got his own website uh, underway, so we'll see more and more from him. But for our main course, we're also going to preview the fixtures to come in draft rugby round three. And for dessert, we're going to delve into rugby college's efficiency rating for the teams of Super Rugby AU and Aotearoa. All right, let's get Brendan on the call. Brendan, all right, how oh, are you going? Shirt. Yes, someone's um. A supporter, by the looks of it, not just a fan. Yeah, well, this is this is practically a win for the Waratahs this year. So <laughs> you got to wear it when you get the opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> nice meeting you guys. Thanks for getting me onto the onto the podcast. And yeah, so, so you can let me know what happens from here. Yeah, welcome to the pod. You know, we we've discussed what we're we're going to run through. So basically, the first thing we're going to do is have a bit of a review of the the matches over the the weekend and. With your input, of course, and what you saw from that match, and then we're going to have another little snippet with you for the dessert, which is where you're going to go through your efficiency rating and, and fill us in about all that, as well as we have a few listener questions for you as well. How does that sound? Perfect. Yeah, sounds easy. That's all cool. right. So for our entree, we we do uh, basically match by match. The buyers on the weekend were the Reds and the Blues. The first game we're going to kick off for Super Rugby AU was the Waratahs going down 16-20 to 20 against the Force. For returning from injury, we had Andrew Reddy after his paternity leave, Tony Pulu after long-term injuries the last few seasons, and uh, not technically an injury, but Andrew Reddy throwing a punch to Hugh Sinclair, the best thing he's ever done on the footy field, getting punched in the face, uh, getting three-week ban for that, that red card for Andrew Reddy. How did you see this game planning out? Yeah, look, I um, for me, it's just about the force. Um, I've been chatting to some of the players throughout last year, and you know, we we brainstorming ways of of, of not only reaching an efficiency, but you know, um, obviously sharing a lot of data from my side to see if if anything of, is helpful, and. Um, uh, so it almost feels like I had a, a little bit of a fly on the wall type of, of vibe with the force and then yeah. absolutely delighted that they finally did get the win, even though at circumstances, you know, they, they probably would have liked to have the Waratahs at full strength and, and not under the cosh. But uh, for me, this game is now finished and I'd like to see how the uh, force are going to kick on. 
Um, They say when when teams finally get that win, everything seems to live by 5 to 10%. Um, A little bit of belief, um, the big monkey is off your back, basically. So for me, it's all about seeing where the force go from here. And unfortunately, they're playing the Rebels, who at the moment I think is is vastly underrated. And um, uh, I just don't know. I don't see how the Force are going to do this, even in Perth. But yeah, it's going to be a fantastic game. And and can you guys believe two or three years ago when the Force played the Rebels, it was probably one of the least celebrated uh, derbies in, in Super Rugby. And yet now there's this huge buzz around it, which I think is fantastic for the game in Oz. I think the politics that have gone that the teams have gone through over the last four or five years has played a huge part in that, and obviously so many of the Western Force players going over to the Rebels. So yeah, it's definitely going to be a huge game and one I'm really looking forward to. Of course, yeah, absolutely. What did you think about? You know, you mentioned the efficiency of the Western Force. Watching that game, how do you see it unfold? How did the Force get the win over the Waratahs? Look, um, uh, we should actually be speaking to a Ben Darwin at this stage about the cohesion and what these older players bring to the party. You look at at Carney over the last two weeks, um, he seems to be growing into that leadership role. You have Kaui, you have in, in very key positions, you have these older guys, but guys with a lot of experience and that, that kind of keeps things calm. Now, imagine the Reds had that, for example. The Reds are like a bunch of schoolyard kids just running around, running amok, you know, doing whatever they like, screwing up, throwing paint all over the walls. Whereas the force seems to have that calm, not not merely the strike power or, or let's say the potential talent at this stage. But I think uh, overwhelmingly what, what I love about Super Rugby Australia this year or the last two years is there's real diversity in where yeah. teams are how they go about playing, and, and that's what I pick up in these uh, efficiency analytics. Everyone plays totally differently. Yeah, New Zealand is a bit more homogenous. They they tend to have a style that they all follow, and, and we know as an international team that helps them. But out of all of this, Australia is going to be able to cherry-pick a style going into the international season, and I think Rennie is all too aware of that mm-hmm. to know the guys are going about it in very different ways. Let's see what works. Let's see what is efficient. So exciting. Definitely just adds another layer to that story, doesn't it? When you've got, you know, the Tars potentially at where the the Reds were three, four years ago, you've got the force coming in with, you know, tons of new faces compared to when they got kicked out a, a handful of years ago. But the amazing stat from this one for me was Cubelli, between Cubelli and Carney, their amount of international caps were higher than the amount of super rugby caps for the Tars starting 15. That's just absolutely crazy. That is some stat, yeah. Wow, yeah. That shakes the building. Um, if One player I think I actually wanted to touch on, we weren't going to do too much of it, but Tim Anstey, he's a, a guy coming across from the rugby sevens. He, he had an absolute blinder for me. We've got him on our fantasy platform as a lock because they announced him as a lock. He'd played a bit of lock, even though he's a little bit short for it at super rugby level. But he was just an exciting player for me. Had his hands all over that ball in attack. And I think, you know, he was quite involved in defense as well. Just touching on some of the statistics, the possession and territory were, you know, all the way, I think, of the force with 56% possession and 58% territory. And they made use of 
of it. They had 518 to 344 metres. They had 10 to 5 offloads. But surprisingly, the Waratahs, you know, wanted to throw the ball around, similar to what you're saying the Reds have been, and they had 9 to 3 line breaks. So they still managed to break that line. In terms of defence, the the Tars had 86% tackle percentage, whereas the Force had 85%. And there was, again, a lot of penalties as we see, you know, a lot of these early games having high penalty counts as the the refs are trying to cut out, you know, certain behaviours. But there was 11 penalties for the Waratahs and nine for the Reds. Um, Did you, do you think the... You know, the, the makeup of these sides and that experience played a lot out with what we saw in the, the breakdown, the lineouts, the scrums, because I think the Waratahs surprisingly had 100% efficiency in the lineout. Second but I week in a row. Second week in a row, but I don't really see them, you know, scoring off those. Yeah, I think <laughs> key to my understanding right from the start when, when developing these efficiency matrix was to separate the, um, the actual set piece from the attack that preceded. Now, that's that's how we understand analysis. Um, you know, you, you'd say a team has a strong scrum yep. if they complete a lot of scrums or if they dominate, whereas the efficiency kind of brings in the backs immediately because if you can't attack off that platform, it's not an efficient platform. Um, if you can uh, say you, you disrupt your opponent's line out a lot, mm. but you're your back line kind of falters and, and no matter if your opponent gets poor ball, they still attack well off you, then your line out defense is not strong. Yep. From that point of view, if you, if you look at the, the Waratahs at the moment, um, there's a lot of set piece things that they do well. They contest yep. really well on line outs. They, the breakdown isn't a, a total shambles, but you move past phase three against them. And, and again, that's where this, cohesion thing makes a lot of sense there's there's a lot of disruption in that camp and it all stems from from hooper having left you know he he was the rock i don't think we maybe appreciated the level to which he influenced everything that went on in the franchise but it, it, it's gone to bits and and what's really fascinating for me to see is who's going to be the senior players that step up now the media are selling us a Harrison. They're selling us a Gordon. These are the leaders um, through through how they play. I think Swinton probably puts up his hand. He's the one guy that everyone would fear in the Waratah side. He makes those big hits that kind of seem to galvanize the team. So for them, I wouldn't be looking at too many stats over the over the next few months with the Waratahs. You just want to see the culture. You want to see who's going to stand up. Yep. Who's going to players that things can be built around and hopefully if they keep penny then then we don't have to worry about that but um yeah they, they are really exciting players i am such a ram groupie and it annoys me that he gets such poor ball at the moment you know yeah. the only ball he gets is the ball that he fights for yeah and even with no space he still makes a meter and a half two meters in contact always looking to play but just just not getting that ball so yeah. You know, I'm not going to diss the Waratahs uh, over the next few months. I just want to see, and I'd be tracking it through these efficiency metrics, how how they slowly start standing up, how they yeah. slowly learn to score points again, how they slowly learn to not concede points again. So, um, yeah, it's it's going to be a nice story to, to see playing in front of us. The uh, the one thing we haven't mentioned yet was the the fantasy stats for the draft rugby platform that we run. So Fergus Lee Warner was the fantasy man of the match. He had eighty three points, which is gigantic. <coughs> and 
Uh, also the man of the match in the game, I should say. Mm. So he had a try, 16 runs, 48 metres, 19 tackles, three tackle busts, a line break and a try assist. He was just everywhere. Uh, the Waratahs also had good scores from Parecki on 58 with his try as well. Will Harrison, 52, and Sam Caird on 44. Not sure what he did for 44 points, to be honest. But fourth, Tim Anstey got 78. He was excellent, as we've all touched on. And Faleti Katu'u, 55 points. Kahui, 47. Pushing on, the other Super Rugby AU game of the weekend was obviously the Brumbies versus the Rebels. And uh, this was a, a great game of contrasting styles for me. The Brumbies got up 27 to 24. Uh, three tries to nil despite the uh, the closeness of the score. So kind of similar story to what we saw against the Reds with the Rebels the week before. Uh, you had Scotty Sayre coming back from his his back injury. He was replacing Slipper, who I think had a knee injury. And you also had Connell McInerney going down in the game with uh, an injury as well. Ankle. With, I thought it was a high ankle to me. But That's right. Confirmation. Sin, syndesmosis. I haven't seen if there's confirmation yet. I think there, it might actually be a tibia fracture. Mm, right. Just this right. Is, yeah. Okay. Uh, what, what did you think in this one, mate? I, I feel like this is a perfect game for you, Brandon, <laughs> just to talk about how two teams can play so incredibly differently. Yeah, look, um, the, the, the Rebels, we've been seeing from last year, they they have those two key players in Hodge and Tumua. Tumua, yeah. for me, being the, the strategist in Australia at the moment, he can really carve out wins when, when, when it's not deserved at all. Um, a lot of people would say he's not getting, he's getting, he's not getting his attack onto the ball enough. They're not making the line breaks. I think against the Brumbies they did have a lot. I'd like to read you guys stats on, on how many line breaks the the Rebels did manage to make. But strategy wise, you can't you can't really lose too many games with those two. I remember just b- before the season started, I was fortunate to have a chat to Scott Wisemantle about, you know, what they've learned through the Wallabies this year. And, and that was his key takeaway is you cannot lose a lot of games when you have Tumua and you have Hodge now. Tumua obviously being injured for the Wallabies and that derailed a lot of things and, and maybe they rely too much on it and, 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 and James O'Connor. But going back to the Rebels, when you have those two players, it doesn't really matter what else you have. You can't lose too many games because they can win the territory battle for you at each time. And now this year they've they can create points it's as simple as that they they don't need to score tries yet obviously if you if you want to win games and moving forward at home and they need to uh, plug back some points and they need to plug back some bonus points they're going to need to learn to score five pointers pretty soon but going away from home not playing a lot of rugby taking two bonus points against supposedly the two strongest teams not having a lot of injuries that's that's efficiency that's that's exactly what the rebels are doing now you know, they have a tough last game away and then hopefully by the time they get to, to Melbourne, everything would be opened up and there could finally be a bit of support behind the Rebels because there's something coming here. Yep. Um, just strategically such a smart team. You guys saw how the forwards got into the game against the Brumbies. I thought they are going to be bullied. Not for yep. a second, were they? Um, Marika Akoroibeti finally getting a bit more ball, a ball in the yep. team channel and a little bit more kind of plug and goes. Um which is something I think Australia should also be looking at. Um, mm. Very exciting. But talking about the Brumbies, are they becoming too addicted to the line out in the opposition 22? Um, I certainly think so. I think too much of their play is geared towards creating that play. Yep. Um, and while watching these games, I always think, 
what would you do against the Crusaders? So when it yeah. comes down to it for me, I think the Brumbies are selling themselves short. They're far more talented than an, uh, a line-out in the opposition 22. I hope the Rebels shock them a bit and that we'll see now moving on, especially against the Reds, them really you know, coming out of their shells and unshackling themselves and playing a bit of rugby. Yeah, look, I think an interesting thing with the Brumbies last week, I think we were saying, mind you, was against the Waratahs, that they showed that they have a number of strings to their bow. It wasn't only going for those driving more lineouts, but I suppose this week it probably did feel more geared to that. You know, they got their driving more penalty, uh, penalty try, I'm pretty sure, and a few other opportunities that they went for there. But you were talking about how the Rebels actually created a lot of opportunities this week. Again, I think that was a bit of an evolution from... Uh, from from last week or previous matches, they had 450 to 288 metres. The line break stat that you were talking about, they had 11 line breaks to the Brumbies three and 11 offloads to the Brumbies five. So they really created a lot of opportunities in this one. Yeah. I think what struck me with the, with the Waratahs-Brumbies game last week was when the Waratahs, you guys will remember, they also scored a try off a line-out yep. um, in, in the Brumbies 22. But it wasn't a mall um, score. It was, uh, I think it was after phase three or something like that. Yep. But through a little bit of gusto and balls and force, really just carved open the Brumbies. You know, you, you don't think you'd score after three phases against the Brumbies, especially not if you're copying a 50-whatever point loss. But they do go to sleep a bit. And I think... I think that's what the Rebels focused on is to say, you know, no one takes these guys on. You know, everyone's kind of, it's almost like you stand offish against the Brumbies. Yep. What if we ramp up the, the aggression a little bit and see, and I really think it worked. It's a pity that the Rebels, I don't think they're that used to making that many line breaks, so they didn't really know how to round it off and, and actually score from it. That would be the next evolution. But it was fantastic to see just all these spaces suddenly opening up. And I think... I think the boys at, at the Brumbies would be really panicked because that's the one thing the Reds can do. You know, they do carve teams open at wall and, and the Brumbies will have to focus on, on, on plugging that first. Yep. I think um, it's interesting to say, you say that the Rebels really came at them and I think they stifled the Reds attack the week before as well in a similar vein for the majority of the game. Marika Corabetti was the fantasy man of the match in this one. He had... 86 points from 15 runs, 117 metres, had 12 tackle busts himself, two line breaks and five offloads as well. So he was just an attacking machine. And I I think it was so contrasting to the rest of the Rebels' back line who seemed so incapable of actually taking advantage of these opportunities. You know, their 13, 14, 15 just don't have any answers when it comes to finishing off some attack. They're, they seem to kind of do their job in defence, but they don't have any ability to strike at the moment when they do Finish. have opportunities come along. You also have a couple of other uh, good scores from the Brums. You've got Lachlan Lonergan had 57 points with his increased minutes <clears> thanks to uh, Connell McInerney's injury. And uh, Tom Banks, 48 points, scored a good try as well. And Rebels, Kabus Ilof, he was 43 good. points. I thought he would have scored more than that. I thought he was brilliant. Yeah. Uh, jumping across to the first game, actually of the weekend of end of Super Rugby Aotearoa, Chiefs losing to the Highlanders 23 to 39, two tries to five. In the returns column, we had Samasoni Takeaho returning after preseason injury, and we had a new injury to Dan Leonard Brown with a fractured arm. What can you add here with with statistics, mate? What what, what did you see in this match? 
Yeah, like I said, it's a bit early at the moment to start really using data because it's uh, you don't see trends yet, not after two yep. games. So uh, for now, it's anecdotal. Um, what I do, when I compare the Chiefs to last year, they start like a house on fire, all their games. Mm-hmm. First 20 minutes, quarter one, they will dominate. Uh, last year, I think on two or three occasions, they had the highest efficiency rating of any team in the world in the first quarter. But then, I don't know. I think they um, they are the opposite of, of what efficiency is. They play an awful lot of rugby. Uh, they play it because they enjoy it, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that's why they, their fans are so passionate. It's, it's kind of easy on the eye when it works. But as soon as things go a little bit tough, they don't have a general. That, yep. that I think the last um, uh, a general that they had, I'm now thinking back to the lad who played in Europe now of late. Um, what was the last 10 for the Chiefs about five years ago? Why the name escapes me now. But uh, he was still a, a 10 who could take control like a Tumua when things are going a little bit rough or when the forwards don't have parity and, and get them into positions. And I think the Chiefs just really lack that at the moment. They, um, they seem to just be forcing play in areas of the field where it just shouldn't be forced and they fall behind. They don't know how to get out of that. Again, it's going to be really interesting to track. Last year, they fell into this hole and they couldn't get out of it. Let's see this year if, if, if something goes better for them. I'm, I'm not too sure. Yep. It's an interesting point. And I think Damian McKenzie's meant to be their linchpin player to, correct, to I guess, control the game. And for his, all his brilliance, he's never been the level-headed guy to steer your ship around. He's definitely your X factor and the guy that can break a game open with something crazy, a little yep. bit in the same vein to, as you said, the Reds, where he's just like given a license to thrill and do whatever the hell he wants. But they do seem to to lack that uh, composed player. Maybe Bryn Gatlin's the answer. I, I do think he's been playing pretty well. And yep. having Anton Leonard-Brown outside of him, I think he's incredibly helpful for that as well. But um, I, I guess the one stat that you can't research is the Jonah Narecki stat. <laughs> what a game he had. He was just absolutely unbelievable. Look, he was awesome, and it was definitely all him in that second half or from that 30-minute mark maybe. But we were remiss to not say how it was the Nanai Saturo show at the start of that match as well because he walked away with like 18 tackle busts or something ridiculous as well. Like absolutely awesome. He can step you in a phone box, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, look, uh, there's there's a lot of critique against that. I know in England and and in South Africa, they they question more and more whether the Kiwi teams are that keen to defend. Um, whether these tackle busts we see as a result of really good attack or uh, explosiveness and all that, or whether their defence is falling flat. So now that we play in Super Rugby uh, without each other, I think the the Aussie breakdown for me seems to be more contested than the Kiwi one. That certainly was the case last year. Um, the Kiwis get to play more phases because they um, the, the breakdowns are not as contested. Yep. Whereas the South Africans tended to to uh, resort everyone to these arm wrestles, and you you almost needed to learn to play European rugby. It's really defence based, lots of kicking. That's also now gone from the Kiwi game. So I, I wonder if if we have to have a trans Tasman this year. By the way, you know, COVID. I, I'm I'm sorry, he's done what he could, but we're going to get that out of the way. Because I feel there's, there's something in the air. And later when we discuss the efficiency metrics, the Oz teams really do show a higher efficiency at the moment. Yep. Um, so I'd love to see that there has to be some stages here. And, and it shouldn't just be Wallabies. Uh, it's all blacks. It should be the teams against each other. I'd love to see the matchups. 
Well, the, the teaser that we're going to have to ask you at the end now is where's everyone going to come in Trans-Tasman, but we'll come to that. <laughs> um, the fantasy man of the match for this one was, as I mentioned, Jonah Norek. He had 115 points, which I actually think is the most points we've ever seen over the last four or five years of running yeah. these systems. He had three tries, eight runs for 192 metres, nine tackle busts, five line breaks, one offload, one try assist. We normally say if you can make 10 metres per run, you've had a really good game. As he made... Time. Over 20. He made 190 <laughs> runs metres from eight runs. It's just absolutely mm. mental. And I think the turning point in this whole match was when Bryn Gatland tried to put the chip through and Nareki ran 90 metres to score. Yeah. And from there, the Highlanders just didn't look back. He was the absolute linchpin of this game. Yep. Yeah. Look, um, that sound that you hear in the background is, is the sound of all analysts in New Zealand at the moment tracking his every single move, which leg he steps off, what the cues are before he catches the ball. So you know, he would definitely be curbed in the next few weeks because everyone's yes. just now scrambling to get data on him. But yep. yeah, this is what we're here for, isn't it? Mate, that's that's a great point. I love that. You know, you're saying that, you know, all the analysts at different clubs are going to be looking at him. So do we see his points drop off in, in you know, coming weeks? Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. I think he's amazing. But, well, actually, no, it's got to drop off less than 115 a game, I think. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, look, you, we mentioned the tackle bus before, 36 to the Chiefs, 18 to the Highlanders, and 10 offloads to four as well. It was just a point-scoring bonanza for everybody. You also had DMAC from the Chiefs getting 90 points, Tenny Nanasatoro, 68 points, Weber, 51, Tupo Vai, 50, and my boy Luke Jacobson, 48 points as well. Uh, Highlanders, Shannon Frizzell, 48 points, and Fakatava, 42 as well. So just huge scores all around. We, we normally mention everyone over 30 points, 40. 30, 40 points, Brendan. Yeah. And, and normally there's, you know, two or three in this game. It was half the team from each side. Easy. Any, uh, anything else from this one that you'd like to highlight? No, no, no. It wasn't. I'm, I'm very fascinated to see if the Highlanders can kick on from, from last year. I think they are formulating a... a style of play that they seem to be really comfortable with. A lot of it was based around Aaron Smith. I think they are playing the new nine, giving him enough game time against big enough teams because it's vital for them to have a second nine who can step in and, and still kind of run things the way Smith does. Um, seem, things seem to be kicking on for them. I just want to come back before we forget about Tim Anstey uh, how glad I am that we see a forward again who's a lanky forward who who has a bit of pace. I remember years ago uh, a conversation with Jake White. Yep. It was when he, I think he still coached the Springboks to 2007. And at the time, uh, someone asked him, who's the most effective player? Who makes the most meters? And it was... Um, uh, it was a lock. Albert Albert van der Berg, I think, at that stage was was the most efficient Springbok, yep. and you know people were baffled. But he then went on to explain when you when team can afford a lanky, quick, quick one, um, he gets through holes that other big bodies just couldn't get through. And if he has yeah. a, a turn of pace and he has a, a good trigger before he gets contact, good footwork, you you're going to have something really effective. So now looking back at Australia. And having a guy like Swinton that bring real aggression to the international level, you know, please, if there can be a space, imagine we have on the bench a lanky sevens dude who can really <laughs> make trouble in the second half. That excites me no end. I, I love this player. I'm going to be watching him. I'm going to tr be tracking your guys' stats on him. I hope he, he really pulls. 
Yeah, we we love the bloke as well. We uh, started a fan group, the Horned Army for the Rams in the NRC. And this is when he was, you know, I don't know, 15, something like that, 16, he turned up and got amongst it and he was just loving the NRC. And uh, it's great to see him now doing things, not only for sevens, but now getting into the 15-man game. And, yeah, I, I would love to see him in Wallaby's gold at some point. Yeah, please. Uh, I just hope he has the season of a lifetime. Yep. Uh, so the final game for the weekend was the Crusaders taking it 33-16 to 16 to the Hurricanes, five tries to two. We all wanted to see Dave, David Havili back. I don't think it was the game that we, we expected from him, but he, he returned after a preseason concussion. Will Jordan, you know, replaced him off the bench as well after a preseason rib injury. In terms of new injuries, we had Ethan Blackadder. He got concussed himself. Jackson Garden Bashup limping off before half time. I think it's because he actually made his first run in, in professional rugby, so that, that tired him out a bit. And then Asafa Amua, his shoulder injury as well, which hurts to see because he's been playing so well. Uh, how, how did you see this one? Is there anything, I know you were saying this very early days, but I mean, the Crusaders, they just do not get tries scored against them in driving malls. The Hurricanes, you know, kept going for it, even though it, you know, or had, had a couple cracks at it, even though it just never seems to happen. But there was almost, was it was it a driving mall try against them? Asafa Moore, was it that broke off? Or no, Riccatelli? Yeah. I don't know if that, that statistic yeah. counts. Yeah, that was they. They keep going back to this three years of no rolling malls tries scored against Crusaders. You're you're an analyst, Brendan. Does that count? Do you do you remember the one where they kind of didn't actually go anywhere, but Riccatelli did break off the back of the rolling mall Surely. and score? What yeah. do you think? Look, I think it's a, it's cheating to only look at whether it's called off a rolling mall. If it's called off a line out in that 22, it surely has to count. Good. But um, I think what the Crusaders do so well, and this is what the Brumbies have done on the converse, you create a real fear in teams. And teams start doing really stupid things against the Brumbies yep. um, as soon as they get into that zone. So uh, I've, I've tracked the Brumbies from last year. Their line out in any other zone is is average to poor. But they yeah. get into your 22 and suddenly it's as if teams, it's like they had eight pints of Guinness. They don't have knees anymore. <laughs> Everything just buckles and, and goes to crap. Obviously, yeah. this is something to do with the Brumbies, you know, really having nailed that that technique. They're extremely calm. But the Crusaders, for me, have that calmness on defense in that zone. It's like something just clicks <clears> and things work out. But it has to do with teams knowing, oh, shit, we've just kicked to the 22 of the Crusaders, they never concede you. Why did we do that? We're going to screw it up and you know, end up doing it. So statistics-wise, yeah, uh, I'd love to see that one change as well. Yeah, take the points. <laughs> That's really the way you're going to do it against them. I, I thought this game was defined by Artie Sevilla's yellow card as the Crusaders were trying their own ruling more. Personally, as a fantasy owner of Artie, I thought he had nothing to do with it and it was an absolute robbery. Should have gone to any of the other forwards from the Hurricanes. But in that time, the Crusaders scored three tries. Um, I, I think they really just completely ended the game in that space of 10 minutes. And from there, it was really how much pride the Hurricanes could put in their jersey, um, yes. which I, th- I thought they did really, really well. But uh, the, the game was basically over. The, the Crusaders are just relentless or ruthless at, uh, at taking advantage of that uh, one-man advantage like no other team. That's right. You know, you talk about that momentum swift. It, it was it was remarkable because you'd remember Salvia had his break oh. relatively at the exact field position where the Crusaders ended up then having a scrum at the other side of the field and scoring off and then all of the, the line-out mall that, that caused the red card. So you, you look at 
that break, he runs halfway across the field. He puts in a brilliant kick. It's a line-out. Now you're a line-out in the Crusaders 22. There's 50 things that can go right. You know, one thing that can go wrong. But now this is where the Crusaders are, mm. uh, I suppose, truly special, as they know that attacking from their own 22 is the best place to attack from. The, the defense is just never set for it. You have 11 guys in the defensive line. Everyone's kind of looking for the kick. Throughout the game, you would have um, uh, Lamar. Uh, oh, now I'm getting my names um, scrambled up. Yeah, these Kiwi names drive me insane. Amor? Anyway, you would have the 10 putting through chip kicks in the first half, first 10 minutes, and that's just done to unsettle the 12 and the 13. They kick long, they kick for grass, so they're the 14 and the 15, and everyone has to kind of have a lookout. You cannot just join the defensive line to be up. Yep. And now the Crusaders are on their own 22. They've already unsettled your defense and they run it from their own 22 and it's an easy thing for them to do because they do it over and over and over they obviously train it as well so they're really calm and comfortable doing it and how easy is that if, if more teams can just learn to kind of develop that that calmness in that zone because it's really not that hard to attack from yep <coughs> i thought uh Player of the game for me was Cody Taylor. He's just immense for a second week in a row. I think he probably took it personally that Asafa Amua <laughs> was being given all the, the plaudits after the first round when, yeah. in all honesty, I thought he had a better game as well. He did He did actually capture the fantasy men of the match for this one as well. 81 points, two tries off seven runs for 63 metres as well. Five tackle bus and a line break. He was just everywhere. But I don't even think that really quite captures the impact he had in the game. He's just so dominant in every phase. Yeah, uh, they they're blessed, aren't they? You know, it's going to be interesting to see who what that pecking order looks like for that spot in New Zealand. Um, yeah, obviously different players again. Uh, you, you you cannot really discount uh, the Saders at this stage um, because they're technically so good. Their players will always, I think, fairly have first dibs at, at All Black selections. But now yeah. you look at the Highlanders bringing through a a generation of players who tactically is just as good. And then you have sprinkled in between the Highlanders, all these guys able to push. I mean, how hard is the? They always say the all-black coaching job is the hardest in the world. How can it be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, for all these stars. <clears throat> um, you want to touch the other ones? Yeah, so Richie Moonga, you mentioned earlier with his short kicking game, he was much better this week from a fantasy perspective than he was in round one. 47 points. Cullen Grace had a bigger game as well, 44 points, although I don't think he's quite captured the um, sparkling form that we saw him when he made his debut at number six last year. Sam Whitelock, 42 points, is just another one of those forwards that you mentioned before that has the ability to either break the line himself or put others through holes. Yep. I think he was exceptional. And Nani Lamape from the the Hurricanes ended up as the top scorer for their team on 46. The commentators mentioned that they were using Nani completely differently this year. Yeah. Um, they're saying that they cut in, that they used to just cut the fly half and give it straight to him running flat. And I, I, they're not doing it this year. Instead, he's actually been a little bit more of a ball player and he's not trying to get them over the ad line as much. And to me, he feels really inactive, but clearly he's been somewhat effective with the, the points that he's racking up. Yeah, that's that's why that's what, what makes these point systems that you guys run quite interesting because I also, having seen him last year and, and now with the role change, I was actually questioning whether he picked up weight or something was wrong because for me, he also seemed just to not be in the thick of things. But, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. They're using him differently. And if he picked up those points, yep. uh, 
would be something to watch moving forward to see. He's obviously effective in, in whatever yep. new role they have for him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Brendan, we um we normally go entree main dessert for our for our show, but we're gonna go dessert a little early, so then that way we don't make you hang around for longer than you need to. No, no problem. What's a gun do with that desserto? Do what do I need that We have got a sponsor. We're lucky enough that we get uh, some Pilk ice cream for our, our uh, podcast or our, our shows, which yeah. is a, basically it's plant-based. a plant-based ice cream. It's bloody delicious. We've had it for a couple of weeks in a row now, and uh, hopefully it gets up to Queensland soon. I think it's only just hitting the market at the moment in New South Wales. So highly, highly recommend, and we'll have to try and get uh, Alex to uh, send some out. He's been pretty good in the past with sending these kind of things out to some of our guests. So surely that's got to hit your shelf as well and you can have a taste. We'll push him. We'll make sure he does it. I'll do so. Yeah, yeah. I like the (laughs) plant-based stuff. I'm I'm all for it. So, uh, mate, for for dessert, you mentioned the efficiency ratings of the teams in Super Rugby AU and and Aotearoa. You've got some graphics for us and some numbers as well. Do you want to take us through what you've done? Yeah. Will you be seeing my screen at this stage? We will be, yes. All right. So, yeah, there we see um, just the efficiency ratings after these uh, three rounds. Now, obviously, um, who was at the force and the Rebels have only played two games. But um, we can already start reading some stuff into it. Now, I just wanted to explain how, how this attack and defense efficiency works. So every single attack that you have, say it's a scrum in your own 22, um, doesn't matter what time of the game really at, at, at this stage, but you start that scrum. Now I'm looking at when that scrum finishes, have you gained territory? Have you uh, retained possession? Have you scored points? And all of that, whatever you've achieved or not achieved, how many phases did you use to achieve that? So the best play that you can have is is gaining territory. So you run, say, from your opponent 50 over the line, you score points, you score a seven-pointer because you convert the kick and you do so in one phase. So if you score a try sometimes uh, using 11 phases, it will be slightly less efficient than doing so off phase one. So if we count every single attack that you have in a game or defensive platform, we can now rack up your efficiency in every one and then calculate an efficiency overall per game. So what that allows us to do, just similar to to what you guys do with players, um, the naked eye can't see everything. Um, We we seem to focus on players who who have you know who score tries or who uh, who do things that are that are flashy that catches the eye mm. and it's similar with teams you know we'd we'd think a team would be poor at something or good at something else but if you look at efficiency you're actually sitting back and measuring every single aspect of their play to get a better understanding of of their form so we look at the the attack efficiency um, and then the offense efficiency is just the mirror image of that so how you prevent your opponent from being efficient on attack, basically. And now when it comes to the balance, it's really important. As soon as you go over 50 balance, it means you're in form. Your attack and your defense balance each other out. You go above 50%. And as soon as you're below that, you're not in form. So it's as simple as that. When we get to round six or seven, this becomes really valuable in understanding who are likely to win certain games. Um, So last year, for example, the Rebels beat... The Brumbies, 
And at that stage, um, the Rebels did show a higher efficiency. In fact, all, all of last year, they were really efficient. Um, the Reds were not that efficient, but what the Reds do is they hijack um, outcomes. And, and, and it's because of the way they play. They can do nine crappy things, but do one really good thing score seven points off it and you know that'll reflect a, a fairly average efficiency but the yep. conversion of, of opportunities to points will be high yep so um they're a funny team to study but if we now look at australia so far for me it makes perfect sense looking at the rebels and it's because their defense is so strong and on attack they've learned how to score points they um they don't muck about they're in the 50 they have hodge on the team Anywhere within the opponent 50, he takes the three points, happy days. So are they going to be able to, to score five pointers and seven pointers at some stage? That that remains to be seen. But step number one for any team to be efficient is learn how to make points. Um, we see in Europe now at the moment, Italy make really good play, but they just do not know how to accumulate points. They kick every line out into the 22 for a penalty uh, for a line out. I mean, um, having scored no points off it within the last two years. So I don't know if their analyst is just thinking today is the day, you know, today is the day. <laughs> just is, it's not going to be the day ever, but, but today is the day. So it's like they override science. Yep. I always kind of laugh at it to think, imagine doctors had to act like coaches do, you know. Yes, the science says this, but I, I actually think I'm going to cut you open. With it today. <laughs> yeah. It'll work eventually. Yeah. All right. So we look at the at the Brumbies, you know, to be expected quite high. <clears throat> Waratahs to be expected quite low. And the main problem with the Waratahs being that that uh, defense is incredibly low. 25 for an attack is actually quite high. It's not it's not the end of the world. People win a lot of games with, with attack on 25. Yep. But as soon as the defense dips below 70, you're in big trouble. All right. So the force we will we will look at. And then the, the Reds are kind of a mixed bag. So the Reds are not totally atrocious. And I think that's a lot to do with, with James O'Connor. From last year, remember, it was kind of here or there whether he would be the 10. They played yep. Hegarty. They weren't sure who the 10 was going to be. And then suddenly they settled on him. And at the same time, he said, look, I'm now taking the kicks. I'm taking full ownership of this. And the Reds literally turned from that day. So yep. he now makes the kicks in his own 50. He doesn't allow the Reds to run a, mil a million times. He plays a territory game. He sometimes takes the three when it needs to be taken, and that has really catapulted them up um, to, to the spot where they are now. And, and the other good thing about them, because they make so much play, they get better at it. Yep. So the, 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 the players who play for the Reds, the Wilsons, the McGrates, all these guys, even at the international level, are going to be really good passing the ball around offload game. Whereas the guys from the strategic teams, the Rebels and so on and so forth, might take a, a bit longer to yep. adapt. All right, so that is just um, Super Rugby AU. And if we look at the Arturo guys, it's very early days, only two rounds. Two teams have only played one game. To be expected, the Crusaders, very high, but shocking. The Chiefs are second so far. So I thought that performance was, was really average, but... This is where it gets exciting. We can see their defense is, is atrocious, but look at that attack. So when we look at Super Rugby AU, um, we have both those teams, Force and the Waratahs, quite a bit lower than the Chiefs. So they're sitting pretty. But now finally we get to comparing the two. And 
you know, I'm not going to get people excited because it's it's far too early to say. But if you look at attack efficiency, the Crusaders on 28.4, Chiefs the highest on 30.7. And then you come over to our guys and all of a sudden you see our top three teams are playing better attacking or more efficient attacking rugby, while our defense stats are also really high. So we could say, yeah, but, you know, they are playing against Aussie sides and the other Aussie sides are supposed to be weaker. Um, my data doesn't show that at this stage. It shows that the Australian teams, in fact, have a higher defense efficiency. And I think that has a lot to do with what happens at the breakdown. It's it's contested heavily. We do not give each other clean um, possession. I think the Aussie teams, I'm fairly new to it, having only arrived on these shores two years ago, but I think they really hate each other. They have that look about them. Uh, whereas the Kiwi teams let each other play rugby. So that, that for me is fascinating, but it's early days. So, Brendan, can you explain on the Super Rugby Aotearoa, the, the New Zealand sides have poor attack, but they also have, relatively speaking, pretty poor defence with the exception of the Crusaders. How, how is it that the teams are showing, like I, I would have thought that if your attack was good, your defence was bad, or if your defence was bad, your attack was good across the competition. Can you explain that? Yeah, look, you can have an inefficient attack or an inefficient defence for a few games but not let in too many scores. So, again, efficiency works on how often you are scored against, but that scored against can be three-pointers and sometimes it can be five-pointers and sometimes it can be seven-pointers. When we look at the percentage of times you concede points, it might be quite low or might be high and yet not take into consideration what kind of points were scored against you, so how many points were scored against you. What this shows us at this stage, their defence being poor, is that they uh, too many phases are being played against them. That's essentially what it comes down to. Right. So their opponents make territory easily. Um, they find it hard to regather possession when they are defending. They take too many phases to regather possession when they are defending. So that's why I mean with the, with the Australian breakdown seeming to be a lot tenser, we do not allow each other a meter. There's a lot of, of, of aggression. You see in the Australian derbies as well, there's quite a bit of fisticuffs, you know, threatening to break out the whole time. And most of it is around that aggression in the breakdown. Um, this we, we don't know where that's going to end. If, if some teams are going to end up really slipping up, you know, at, at the start of a season, everyone seems to be quite square and then some guys really pull away. Yeah, you know, it is. It is already remarkable that both on attack and defence, the Australian sides are posting higher efficiency. So, yeah. good news. The uh, the takeaway from me is that I'm, if, I'm, if I'm looking at the balance of stats, both all the Rebels, Brumbies, and Reds all outscore the Crusaders. So, logically, you're saying that the Australian sides are going to clean up in Trans Tasman, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, you know, when we look at the Rebels, and I know you're only joking, but we look at the Rebels, they do convert a lot of opportunity to points. But at, at this stage, those are three pointers. Yeah. And, uh, the Crusaders might only convert, I think they're only converting 7% of all their attacks into points at the moment. But those 7% happen to be about 5.8 points because it's mostly yep. unconverted or converted tries that they yep. score. So, that is a, a little disclaimer that has to come in at this stage. But the good news is at the start of a season, you first have to become efficient. Like the Rebels, they've learned how to score points. Now they, they have that comfort. They, they've played with, with, with a really good territory um, uh, IQ for a long time. So they've always dominated territory. 
Now they've converted that into points. So the next thing would be, you know, pile that scoreboard pressure on. Um, we saw in the game against the Brumbies now, unfortunately, they went for three lineouts, um, three of their penalties they kicked to the, to the Brumbies 22, and that yielded zero points. So again, a Hodge and a Tumua, they, they now owe the data gods nine points for, for letting that slip up. But, you know, obviously as a team, they want to evolve and they want to get that line out, try that fool's gold that I talk about. Everyone just wants to bite that cherry. And then, you know, you can, you can forgive them for it because it's an emotional game. They really want to, you know, get that high. But when you come back to data over a long run, it, it, there's, there's enough evidence that it doesn't work. Yeah, but so we'll see soon. We will see soon where they're going to move. As soon as the Rebels score a five-pointer, it doesn't matter when it is, but you guys can will see me kind of jump up and down. <laughs> I hope it's a spectacular try from one of those 11 line breaks or whatever yep. they had over the weekend because they're an exciting team and it's great for Australian rugby that they are pumping. Yeah, it's, it's really good to see those stats there because, I mean, that, that gives us something to really be excited about for them. And I'm really intrigued to see how that evolves over the season. And, you know, from our, our perspective, it's interesting to see how this will translate into fantasy points for, for these teams, especially, you know, teams with good attack against or efficient attack against teams with, you know, poorer defense efficiencies. So it'll be in- interesting to see moving forward. Uh, last thing I, I really wanted to do before you left, we put out a few posts in the socials to see if anyone had any questions to ask you. The first question that we had here was from a friend of the pod, the uh, so Rugby Fixation podcast. If you haven't listened to their podcast, they're a really good podcast as well. The question is, what is it specifically about the Crusaders pack that makes them so good at scoring off lineouts but also prevents other teams from scoring rolling moors? tries against them so i think you touched on a little bit before but did you have anything else to add there yeah i think it's just muscle memory to be honest um obviously in this day and age analytics goes a long way uh we we know the top international teams always had a lock who had a big passion for studying opponents so uh, south africa had victor matfield england had martin johnson um some teams seem to have them and other teams seems to not. So I wouldn't be surprised if Whitelock and these guys are really doing an awful lot of homework every single week on it. You know, you can't yep. just rely on your team analysts to, to be studying your opponents. Yep. And not only the analytics beforehand, they look at a lot of cues during games. So um, they'd be studying what the hooker does with his feet uh, prior to throwing in. Does he scratch his nose? Does he touch his ear? There's all these little cues that these guys study intensely. And um, again, some teams have really competitive locks who, who want to monster their opponents. But when it comes to the computer works after the, afterwards, they're just not that big into it. They're just not that analytical. And I, I just think that the Crusaders have an incredibly professional mindset. So that would not even be coming from the coaches. That would come from, from players themselves taking ownership yep. of, of, of that analysis. The leadership group. That's right. Got one more for you from uh, at Russell the Rugby. He says, and I, I think that this may be a tough question for you to be fair because I know that you, uh, you've you only been in Australia for a couple of years, but how has the game changed in Australia over the past 10 years on a numerical and statistical level? How, how long have you been following the Aussie rugby, uh, Brendan, and, and have you seen any obvious changes statistically? Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't been measuring Australia um, only from the 2019 World Cup. Yep. Um, and, and kind of the reason that got me excited 
about it was that Australia at that stage, I don't know if you guys can remember during the World Cup, but they attacked from their own 22 like demons. Yep. You had this run at all cost, yep. malarkey, Karevi okay. <laughs> running, but they got really good at it. And they were efficiency-wise out of their own 22 and own 50 by far the most mm-hmm. efficient team in the World Cup because they had the balls to run it. Um, which is, you know, something that Crusaders and the All Blacks also do and, and Leinster and all these successful teams. So that was exciting. It's just, and it, it must be old Cheka's personality that it's that it's all or nothing. Yeah. And um, that he didn't have an off switch for that particular strategy. That got me excited. But then, you know, obviously from that point on, I started measuring the Australian game. And then coming over here, the first thing I did was look at the school's rugby, yeah. the club rugby to understand what's going on. So... The thing about Australian rugby that's very different to other countries, um, or especially the ones that I've measured, is that in our own 50 meter, we run the ball. That's what we do. We will pass the ball 412 phases if we have to, but it's there's a law against or what I've learned now. It's un-Australian to kick out of your own 50. Yep. It just nails us time and time again. Um, especially where world rugby is at the moment with regards to attacking rucks. So if you, the attacking team, every single ruck you play is risky um, because attacking teams are being policed a lot. So as soon as you go off your feet, they only see that attacking team because you're kind of flying into contact or your body position is already kind of low as you try to clear, whereas the jackler gets um, a bit of a free reign. You know, he gets to stand with his head in the middle of the, of the ruck. And if you run into him, it's a red card against you. So attack has become risky. And because of that, the Australian way will need to adapt. Yep. Um, so we, we can look at all levels of the game. That That is a key issue. But now you have the Rebels just not doing it anymore. Um, they, they do not play rugby where rugby shouldn't be played. And uh, for that reason, things become a little bit easier. And, and what I love about the Australian game is it is quite analytical. Um, it's very smart. Um, we have to bat clever because I think traditionally we might not have had the, the, the specimens, the, the athletes um, that, that the New Zealanders and South Africans maybe had. Yeah. Um, so there's always been that intelligence around the game. And, and that for me, you see clo- easiest way to spot it is in how quickly we adapt. So you wouldn't have a team play stupid rugby or do the same stupid thing for five or six games. Whereas in South Africa, I could easily track the Bulls doing a stupid thing for two or three years. They're not going to change until someone makes a new hit song and they decide, oh yeah, the world is changing. We need need to adapt our game. So change happens quickly. And I think uh, the the super rugby coaches are a smart bunch of people at the moment. Um, And that's going to benefit us immensely moving forward. Look, Brennan, I've I've taken a lot out of this. This, is, this has been a really good pod. It's been awesome to have you on. Um, for anyone that's watching or not watching this, you should go check this out on YouTube. You've got a another post up there comparing the you know Rebels and the Brumbies, and you flick through a few different teams there. I think as well, which is awesome to see. But look, where can people come and find you in your rugby ecology stuff? Where can people get involved as well? Yeah, look, at the moment, we're just scrambling in the last few days to get the database up and running. So yep. what you see on the screen at the moment will be accessible to anyone. Yep. So you will be able to pick your your level of rugby. So I do a lot of school stuff. We do the women's game. We do club rugby. So whomever 
users the platform to score games um, will be able to have their data on the database and you will be able to compare any team to any other team. Um, now, the analytics are quite limited because, because it's an open platform. I cannot have one guy decide whether a tackle was made or a tackle was not made because yep. you know, if you have 10 people in a room, they, there will be no agreement on it. But you know the things that we measure only as a yes or a no answer. So it's not as if people can get it wrong. Was a try yep. score yes? Was a try you know score from a scrum in the opponent fifty yes? Uh, it's it's fairly straightforward. But the most important thing is that we'll finally be able to compare any team to any other team um, in any level of rugby. So for me, that's exciting. It's it's scratching my own itch. I've always just wondered, you know, why why are New Zealand good and why are this team crap? And now finally, by by tracking this, we'll be able to compare every old team to any other one. So uh, the guys will just have to wait maybe another week, a week and a half. I'll let yeah. you go on Twitter. Once it's up and ready, I'll definitely shout it from the rooftops mm -hmm. at that stage. And yeah, then anyone can score any team on the platform and also compare their teams to all other teams. Yep. Yeah, and you mentioned Twitter, you're at Rugby Ecology. Anywhere else on the so on social media that people can find you? There is Rugby Ecology on Facebook. I don't get to visit it often with, with all the Trump dramas and all the craziness. I uh, <laughs> did the wise thing and just stepped away. Um, yeah, fair I, enough. I haven't checked to see how the Meghan Markle malarkey and all that is playing out at the moment so i try and <laughs> sidestep all these things facebook seems to be a bit aggressive most of the time yeah but twitter is, is is where i'm most active um but there is a rugby ecology site on um on facebook and, and you're welcome to visit that yep and look as soon as you put out this this uh the comparisons in your, your website and everything here the database yeah we love your stuff we're going to share it as well so anybody that's listening get amongst it again thanks for having you on board mate and uh we'll see you soon thank you so much to be on you guys have a good night thanks mate see ya see ya yes me oh my i have enjoyed that yes boy so off to the main course we have the waratahs and hurricanes on buyers this week Game one for the week is the Force versus the Rebels. The Force get their first home game in front of the Sea of Blue, back and forth with a COVID-free Australia, essentially, at the moment. Uh, returning for this, I found really interesting. Both Jordan Ulysses and Gerald Skelton are already on the plane over in, in Perth. So Ulysses had his hand injury and was expected to miss three weeks. He's missed one. And Gerald Skelton had a pin and plate inserted into his leg for a minor fracture. Again, was meant to miss another three weeks. That means Skelton, if he's looking at playing, is probably a few weeks after that fracture pin and plate. Like, just mental. But obviously, they're both in the mix. Otherwise, you wouldn't take them. Yeah, look, surely you don't send them across if they're not in the mix, but it just doesn't really add up. No, not at all. Uh, look, Kagi, not here today, but he did make an input. He wants Issy Nasarani back in the team. And, I mean, that's only because he's in his fantasy side. But to be yeah. honest, I wouldn't mind seeing it either. It's not going to happen. He's not in the plane. Otherwise, we would have heard about it. So he's still working back to try and get his strength back after his knee operation. Um, the one other name that I think uh, has kind of come out in the headlines this week is Sidaleki Tamani, the ex-Wallaby and Waratah ex-Force man as well. 34 years old, he's just signed for the Western Force and he's back in the in the squad for the rest of the year. So I guess eligible immediately. He's back, back home from France for family reasons. He's from been Clement. signed as an injury replacement. Yeah, so 
I mean, I, I don't think you'll see him straight away. I think they'll they'll try and, you know, give a bit of respect to Jeremy Thrush and you're not taking Fergus Lee Warner off. So maybe not this week, but that's pretty exciting. Yeah, look, I, I'm questioning how much we actually see him this year. You know, there's not that long as, as you know, Super Rugby AU season. And, I mean, Thrush has, has been decent and he's been there for a few years and I mean, they need, get, they need game <clears throat> lines. They don't have many runners. He's that kind of big body that can oh, actually punch through a hole. I can see it. But my, my one need. thought with them is well, is they haven't wanted to rush all their overseas players in. Like, we still haven't seen Miotti starting. He barely started this week, but not previously. You know, he hasn't been in the system. I don't know if they'll want to throw him in the deep end quickly, but yeah, hopefully we're going to see him play some footy. Well, you mentioned Domingo Miotti. I think the question on everyone's lips is, is he going to start? They brought him off the bench last week. They started Jack, Jake McIntyre, who I thought looked good. He attacked the line a little bit better as well. I think there's no doubt that Domingo Miotti is the guy with the highest ceiling right now out of their three fly halves. Do you think he'll start? I I put my money. It's it's going off gut feeling, but I'm going to put my money on that he does this week. Yeah. Um, I just don't think McIntyre add that attack that they needed. Cabelli maybe did a little bit better, but I'd love to see those two guys continue, you know, their their bond together as rugby players coming across from Argentina. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I, I like to think that we'll see him, but obviously there's no no insights there on training squads or anything from over in the Western Force. Mm. Um, you know, the, the Western Force have had their troubles getting over the game line and scoring their own points. Uh, the mm. Rebels. I don't think they've scored a try yet, right? They've just scored 15 million penalty kicks and off the back of Tamua, Powell, Hodge, those guys kind of controlling the back line, Marika Corabetti just being given licence to do whatever he wants. With the exception of maybe Corabetti just picking the ball up and running 90 metres from the back of a ruck, how do they score tries? I don't know. Look, for me, this is a game I'm interested in to see, a bit of a grudge match between the two sides, and it's going to be built up like that. And I'm, I'm actually really excited to see this one. I just hope it doesn't turn into, you know, neither team being able to score tries and it becoming a penalty fest. Yeah, that's my gut feeling. I think um, the Rebels have shown in the first two games so far this year that they have the ability to make you play badly. Yep. The Western Force have that ability as well to make to play themselves badly. play badly. They've been at uh, <laughs> robbed. We were definitely robbed. <laughs> they, made, they made us play badly all season. All season. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, look, in, in all seriousness, though, the Rebels ha- have a very solid defensive line, play yep. good territory. I could see the Western Force wanting to play a bit of a territory game back against them and it becoming a bit of a kick fest. Probably not going to be one for uh, the – it's going to be oh, one for the Rusted-on fans. That's that's for sure. That's about it. Um, I, I Go on. Give it a chance. Yeah, my my call is it's going to be a kick fest. The rebels don't have a big attack. The Western Force don't have a big attack. And when the rebels actually start rushing up, the only way I can see that this game opens up is Marika Korobetti does his thing, or I think the force have to be really, really dominant at breakdown because if they can get ad line and get through the breakdown and get quick ball, then it's going to be harder for the rebels to actually enforce themselves in defense. And then they might actually be able to throw the ball wide and get the, the ball into the hands of, you know, okay, Ralston or Tony Pulu or something like that. But honestly, I, I don't see that happening. I, I really like Brian Stunder and, you know, Tim Anstey was exceptional on the weekend I, I think I, I don't really see how that happens. There, uh, and look, I don't disagree with anything you said. I'm just trying to be positive for some Aussie rugby. But look, I, I think their attack is going to come through their locks and potential locks, right? 
coming through Anstey, coming through Lee Warner and some of the stuff they did in tight, I think you add Kubeli to that, you know, and, and a bit more time with them, that's going to add a bit bit more oomph in, in tight and give them maybe, you know, potential more opportunities. Add Miotti to it, and I think that'll that'll work as well. And hopefully they can get the ball a little bit wider. But it, there's a good chance this becomes a kick fest, and the only way it can't be for me is get Miotti amongst it. You know what? I'd like to see Kangateka have a rest <clears throat> for Thomas Lozano at number seven, open side. Get Anstey, Lozano, Stunder, Fergus Lee Warner. You're starting to get a little bit more impact, and you know maybe, maybe that is a with, along with Miotti coming in as well. Yeah, that could be enough. All right. Uh, so, what's your what's your call? Uh, look, I think the impact of losing Reddy is not going to affect them at all. Is <laughs> well, they got Jack Winchester, who can surely do no less than punch someone in the head and get sent immediately off. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I just I don't think Reddy. He, he hasn't shown us something he showed us while he was at the Reds a handful of years ago. But yeah. look, he he obviously has a three week ban, and and I think the the big point with there is Katu manages. Uh, are going to be just licking their lips because you're going to get many more minutes. And Kaitu has been really good for fantasy. I think he got 40-odd or 50-odd points on the weekend. Yeah, he's excellent. Um, look, for me, I, I think you're going to probably echo this and agree. I think the Rebels are going to win this one. I don't think they're going to run away and score lots of tries. So, you know, six points. Yeah, a couple of penalties, three, three points, six points. Yeah, I agree. I think the force will be really, really passionate early. Yeah, if they could break the game open and make the rebels chase and make the rebels try and actually have to attack, I think that that could make the game really interesting. Yep. But I think the rebels are really disciplined, and I think I, I agree. It's going to go down to a fine margin. Just to disagree with you for fun, I'll go the force by three. Yeah, look, I think the Rebels have a way to work themselves in a game by taking their points. Taz came came out and, and tried to give him a crack. You know, same idea with the Force, but, um, yeah, I don't know. The second game of the week is the Crusaders versus the Chiefs. So returning in this one, there's nothing confirmed, but, you know, a really good uh, pick from one of the, the guys on Twitter has addressed us and shown us that Manasa Mateelli, actually a couple of people came forward. He was playing for the Crusaders Development 15 side. So thank you to Jonathan Beswick, I think, was one of them. And uh, the other one, Nelson, you got, you got that one there for me as well? No, apologies, one, apologies. So uh, Mateelli was a week before George Bridge having their pec repair and has already played a game for the Crusaders Development 15. So, number one, Bridge might be quite close if he's progressing in a similar fashion. But you could see Manelli back into the squad this week. Personally, I think there's probably too much depth. Yeah, I agree. Um, on the flip side of things, the Chiefs, again, no more detail out of these injuries, but we know that Boschier, Quintapaya, Chase Tiatia were all seen as, you know, small injuries, not out for too long. Boschier with his foot, Tapaya with his hammy, and Chase Tiatia with his concussion. So, you know, hopefully they get some uh, some fresh legs back in, and that'll be interesting to see how they then deal with those guys coming back into the squad because all three of those positions are really sacked. Yeah, look, oh, for me, surely you slot Boshier back into that that back row. Yeah, I'd love to see him at six. And then that combination with him, with Kane and with Jacobson, who I thought had a brilliant game on the weekend, that is a really dynamic, really good back row mm. that is going to have to have a massive game for, their, for them to be able to stand a chance in this one. They're going to have to really work hard at the breakdown and disrupt this ball for the Crusaders. I don't think it'll be enough, but boy, those three together could be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, these teams played each other three times last year. The Chiefs actually got the first win in Super Rugby 
Super Rugby. That seems like a long time ago. And then they lost both of their matchups in Super Rugby Aotearoa last season. Speaking of wins and losses, the Chiefs are now on 10 consecutive losses in a row. So mm. I think maybe they, that's their last win. If they lose, I think, no, genuinely, I'm pretty sure it is. No, they only lost one game before Super Rugby Aotearoa last year. But so I think maybe they won one other one against one of the <clears> Australian <throat> sides. But they, um, they, if they lose this, they tie with the Highlanders the most ever consecutive losses for a New Zealand Super Rugby side. Yep, that's that's gonna hurt them because it's probably gonna happen. Um, the issue is that there's not many Aussie teams in that, yeah, so. that's a bit different, <laughs> yeah, it's a little, bit harder, a little bit different. But look, going off um, Brendan's information we were chatting about a little bit earlier, we know that the Crusaders have poor attack efficiency, but when they do score, it's generally in fives and sevens. They score a lot of tries, and Moonga is a great kicker, so he kicks you know, a vast majority of them. I think he's taken one or two penalty attempts in the last two matches. I don't think he's even kicked them. I think he's literally gone up in fives and sevens. Um, they also have the best defense efficiency on both sides of the Tasman. Mm. So the Chiefs are going to have to attack really, really well and defend really, really well, I, I think, to be in this one. But the concerning thing for them is that, you know, they have a decent attack, but they really have a poor defence efficiency. They, I mean, they led in five tries last week, and the Crusaders are surely going to run a mark and score a lot of tries in this one. Yeah, look, it's hard, it's hard to disagree with you in this, when you look at the strike power they have. But having said that, I, I think the Hurricanes gave the Chiefs a little bit of a blueprint about how to take the Crusaders' back line out of play, you know. Uh, I think Franga Anuku scored 30 points in fantasy footy, but Havili did nothing. Severi Reese scored some points but didn't really get the ball. He's just a bit of a freak. Yep. Uh, Will Jordan, or equally when he came off the bench, didn't really get to have an impact either. So there there is a way to shut down the Crusaders' pack. And mind you, I think a part of that was just the, the pressure that was being put on the Crusaders, so they knocked the ball on. Do you think- they, yeah, they gave away penalties and stopping the game, slowing the game down, seemed to be a really good tactic. Do you think maybe it's a bit harsh, but maybe the Crusaders are a step off where they have been in recent years? Uh, yeah, no, not really. I don't think it really mattered who they came up against. They had those guys getting involved. Yeah, that, well, I think they're just they're lacking a little bit of the accuracy at the moment. Maybe yeah. that's fair. Um. Something that, you know, I know I cared about as I think pretty much every fantasy manager would, would be, you know, we were waiting bated breath for a couple of Crusaders to return. We had David Havili return, as you said, not much impact. We had Will Jordan return. I think he played 28 minutes at the back of the match. And although he didn't convert it to fantasy points, he did show a bit of his potential and how exciting he can be, you know, almost scoring one of a, a kick, putting the ball down on the, the line, a few things along those lines. But surely you want to see these guys both in the starting side this week. Mm. Maybe uh, I think two changes might have just been too much for them off the back of a decent performance to, to thrust them back in. But I know last week you were talking about Havili being at 12, Will Jordan be at 15 as your prediction. But we're now leaning towards more that we see Havili stay at 15, his preferred position. Maybe we see Will Jordan push to the wing and Fainga Anuku go to the bench. Do you think that's how we'll see it? I think so. Uh, it, it is really hard to pick, but historically the Crusaders have always gone for their one big dominant physical winger yep. and their one, I guess, more agile 
uh, better kicking, better under the high ball type winger. Second so, fly half almost. Second fullback, sorry. Second fullback, yeah. And, and I think that probably works a little better with Will Jordan. So I, it, they're all options. They're all options they could take. But, yeah, the, considering David Avili has been held in very high regard as a vice captain, I think he is. So, yeah, I could see it being what, that way. Yeah, wants to play fullback. Yeah. On the other side, for, for the Chiefs, do they persist with Sean Wayne Nui at 13? We don't know about Tapayos if he's back in, in it this week. Um, but obviously he didn't sound like a long injury. So do we see him slotting at 13? Do we see Nankerville come in at 12 and push Anton Leonard Brown at 13? There's a few questions there for the centres. Yeah, we haven't had a lot of history to see how they're going to play this one out. But I think the very fact that they've put Sean Wanui at 13 over Nankerville yep. immediately says that they're not stuffing around by – it's not a stopgap solution by putting him at centre. Otherwise, they would have just started Nankerville. Yep. Yeah, so I, I think maybe having Anton Leonard Brown outside, Bryn Gatland, who's not as familiar with the team's shapes, is a tactical move that they've, they've stuck with. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I, personally, I think most likely thing is we see the same back line. Yep. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, where does Chase Teardy fit in? Does he fit in? Well, right now he he's in the concussion ward, yeah. the uh, casualty ward. But uh, if he comes in, I would love to see him on the wing. I own Janelo, though, so hopefully not too soon. Janelo was very quick on the weekend. Oh, he's lighting. <laughs> yeah. So fast. Let's, let's get some more ball. ball. Yeah. Get some more ball in his head. Yeah. And well, what's your pick for this one? Oh, you can't go against Crusaders ever, can you? No. No, Crusaders by 12. Yeah, uh, I think the Chiefs will stay in it early and they'll break away and I'll go Crusaders by 15. Yep, fair enough. Game three, Brumbies v Reds. So returning in this one, you've got the two main uh, first-choice hookers for the side. So you've got Falau Finger coming back, we expect, from a toe injury. They have said that he's more or less confirmed. Uh, Brendan Panger and Moser as well. He's missed the first couple of rounds with a neck injury, so he'll be back. Uh, and where he fits in, starting with Alex Murphy, not sure. I think he'll probably come by the bench, unlike Falafenga. Uh, Lukan Salakai Loto is finally back from his red card suspension from the international season as well. So big news there. <clears throat> I guess the the thing the, the thing that summarizes this whole game it is the finals rematch, yep. and it's the expected finals preview as well. Just depends yep. where the home game is going to be actually played out. So these are the two best sides in Australia. They're the two most exciting sides when they get uh, a little bit of a run on. Definitely a clash of styles as well. Completely different styles of footy playing and attacking in completely different ways. Mm. With uh, with Falau Fainga, uh, maybe, I think he's a huge inclusion <laughs> or exclusion for this side. You know, Con- Connell McInerney, we, we mentioned, had broken his fibula. So if he's out... Um, it means that Lachlan Lonergan is going to be having to look to play really big minutes with Billy Pollard, young man coming off the bench that we all want to see a little bit of game time for. We do want to see him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the worst thing in the world, but look, I, I think when you look at their front row, no Alan Alatoa, who's now got a three-week suspension for his red card as well. So I think it's Tom Ross will be starting for him. Uh, James Slipper is has an MCL sprain and is out for another three to five weeks. So they're kind of similar to what we predicted on the casualty ward there as well. They're losing a lot of front row stocks. I think they really need Falau Fanga. Yeah. So if he's not if he's not way out, I think he'll be starting this game yep. because, you know, the scrum is a huge part of this matchup. And really, I think, especially in the second half, I can see the Reds just growing and growing and growing and taking control of that game. They're going to be relying so much <clears> more heavily on the likes of Scott Sierra. Yep, I, I definitely agree. Um, an interesting thing here, we, we just saw it actually in this lead-up to this chat here, but Michael Atkinson, at Kinson88 on Twitter, he actually put up, he was watching the Reds train 
So, I mean, this is what he does. He's a sports presenter reporter. It's not just a guy sneakily watching <laughs> watching the Reds train. But he said, judging by training this afternoon, Reds rugby are set to make some significant changes this week. Looks like Vinavalu to start on the wing with Patea moving to 13 and Hunter to 12. Also, Lucan back from suspension, likely to be at the expense of Suru, who has been really good. Suru has been very good for them. But... Yeah. He has um, this line that you just mentioned. Kagi's just as last place in our league. He's just worked out his first draft pick for for trade for trade night this week. So I guess he'll be. Picking Doesn't he up. already have Vinavalu? No, I think he dropped him, didn't he? <laughs> Vinavalu is back on his side this week anyway. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. He doesn't listen to pods. So it doesn't matter. No, that's right. Look, there's there's just so many juicy matchups in this back line. Like you look at Tate McDermott versus Nick White, James O'Connor versus Noel Alessio in the centers, Ira Simone, Lenny Katow, Hunter Paisami, Jordan Pataya. Like that is just mouthwatering yeah, stuff. So to me, I guess the biggest difference is probably the class of the wings at the moment. You got um the, the Reds wingers, I think, are just a little bit more experienced, although you know, Vinavali comes in, who knows? Mm. But uh, I think, huh? yeah, just in the wrong sport. <laughs> but that's probably the biggest difference. James, uh, Jock Campbell and Tom Banks as well, like both exciting players. It's going to be interesting to see if there is some space for Banks on the inside, you know, that inside ball that he loves running. Yep. I feel like Fraser McRide will just be looking for that ball all day long. I don't think he's going to have nearly the same opportunity in this game as he has, but yep. he's been in very, very good form. So it's going to be a real test for the Reds' defence. Uh, and I think, you know, Time after time, we've seen for the Brumbies that if they can dominate the ruck and get quick ball, then they can really come into the game. And if not, I think what we saw last year, the Reds dominated the contest, but the Brumbies went back to their old faith or the rolling mall, and the Reds really had no answer. So uh, there's a few things to play out here, but number one, the Reds' priority surely for the last fortnight since their buy started (laughs) was work out how to stop the Brumbies rolling mall. And if they can do that, I think they win the game. Yeah, look, they, they're going to have to bring a lot of energy to this one. I think that, you know, that potential lineup is saying that that's what they're doing here. Mm. Um, so I, I think this is just going to be an awesome game to watch. It could go either way. I'd lean the way of the Brumbies being at home and maybe that, you know, the Reds might pip them later on in the season rather than early on in the season. But an interesting thing here, you said Tom Banks, he's been doing well. He is a guy in fantasy that I have kind of lost faith in in previous years. He's sitting at fourth across... All fantasy players, yeah, it's only a couple matches, but with an average of 55, he's playing a lot better than he has. And he was pretty solid last year as well. He's in good form. He's a bit hit and miss, though, so this might be the miss. Yeah. He's due. Um, So who are you picking? Like, I I think we're both leaning to the Brumbies in a tight one. Yeah, I... You know, could go either again, way. Again, I might put my money on Reds. I think it's more interesting, and it could definitely happen, so I'm going to go three points to the Reds. I'll put my money on the Reds. But I'm going to say right now the Brumbies in Canberra. Coward. That's the difference. Uh, so the final game of the weekend is the Blues versus Highlanders. The Blues coming off their bye. We should see Caleb Clark return. In in saying that, he limped off in, in round one. It was like the 72nd minute, but he did look yeah. sore limping off. So, you know, the expectation is he's had a bye. He should be fine. Yeah. And there's been discussion that this is where we might get to see Kazuki Himeno return or to actually debut for the Highlanders, which will be extremely exciting to see now that he's been training with them for a couple of weeks. What do you reckon about Kazuki Himeno? Well, do you reckon they could roll him out at lock? Oh, there was a discussion of that, wasn't there? Or did we say that? 
I don't know. I, I just think that that's a fair ch- opportunity for them to actually try and fit him into the starting side because their loose forwards are just so incredibly stacked. Yeah, they definitely have a lot of tackle, uh, a lot of talent there, but I just don't know if he's tall enough. I'm just looking it up now. He's 187 centimetres. That is not tall enough. I say no. You're not going to see him at lock. You're definitely not going to see well, him then at lock. How do they fit him in? What are they going to do? Who's I, I think you see him on the bench this week. Yeah. I mean, even that seems like it's going to be tough with Squire. Yeah, that's what I mean. But maybe they have Squire as a bench cover for Locke and they got him as him and I as the bench cover for back row. No, I don't think I don't think Squire's ever played a game on Locke in his life, has he? He's taller. <laughs> Far out. I don't think that says anything. Maybe you drop Squire because he isn't that much. Yeah, I guess maybe. Well, look <laughs> after what the Highlanders showed us last week. This could be a really close one. You know, they were very exciting. They took the game by the scruff of the neck at the back end off the back of Nareki, but I really liked Hunt. I think he was utilised very well and we could get the best out of him seeing at 15. Mm. Um, and Josh Iwani, we're, we're all excited for him as 10. So I think that might be where it fits in the 10-15 the combo. Yeah, I think that's most likely. I mean, the disappointing thing is that means one of, uh, you'd say Solomon Alamalo or yeah. Connor Garden Bashup are going to miss out. And Alamalo was on the bench last week, which I just think is craziness. I agree. So um, I I want to see Connor Garden Bashup playing there, but, you know, I, I, I could easily see Alamalo getting that as well. So it's going to be an interesting one. You're going to have to look at these team sheets when they come out, you know, late. This is probably going to be Friday. This is Sunday. Sunday game. Oh, don't do that to us again. <laughs> yeah. It's impossible to pick. It's going to be late. I'm going to pick up Alamalo on trade night, trade night then and just hope. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of the Blues, so the Blues defence, they just weren't up to scratch. They had 77% tackle accuracy. Um, and the Highlanders are going to ask a lot of questions of that. They have a lot of talent that, you know, will be able to exploit that in the backs. So... It's going to be interesting, but Rico Yuani is going to be up against Nani Punavai, and I mean, I don't, I don't see Yuani still as an outside centre, but I see him winning that matchup. Well, yeah, I, I think probably the Highlanders. You know, you got Sarah Tompkinson there as well, but I think the biggest mismatch in this game at the moment is has got to be the Blues versus the Highlanders midfield. Yeah, I think that uh, Harry Plummer is a classy young player. Rico Yuani has got absolute X factor. So I, I think if there's anywhere where they could try and get a bit of an advantage, it would be the playmaking abilities of Black, Plummer, Perifera franchise, all giving the ball out to the likes of Rico and his wingers. I don't disagree with you, but, I mean, you've got two centres that, I mean, arguably are playing out of position. Your inside centre is a 10. Your outside centre... is a big 10. He is, but he's a 10. And your outside centre is a winger. I think he's a 10-12 and Rico's a 14-13, man. I just don't I don't agree. Rico is not a 13, but he could be down the track. But agree to disagree. But the blue scrum, do we think this is just going to absolutely monster the Highlanders scrum? Yeah, like, look at the bench. The bench from last week was absolutely All outrageous. Bench, the props, Carl and Offer, <laughs> yeah. like just ridiculous. I, mm. I think surely they have to get a start. You can't just leave them withering away. And oh, Alex Hodgman's still to come back. Nepo La 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 looking in very good form. Just crazy. I think they'll start. Surely you're going to get them back on that starting side. They're not, not going to work as a bomb squad, surely. But if they do, I mean, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. But uh, I think we can all base, basically agree that James Loy, was it? 
Yeah, whoever that big old fat oh, no, bloke that was, was that was starting. Yeah. Geez, he looked average. So, I mean, they're, they're clearly missing a, a prop there. Yeah. Do you think we get to see Tom Robinson come and work his way into this? this big sales. Big sales. Oh, I hope so. I, I don't know. At the moment, they're obviously rating considering that he was the one of the captains of the sides in the preseason pictures. But maybe maybe we're looking for too much change too too early on in the season for the Blues as well. You know, I don't know how quickly they're going to start rotating their players. But Akira Yuani and and Hoskins Satutu have got to be their first choice sixes and eights. So, I mean, that means that big source is really going to get yeah. Well, he, could come, he could come in at lock. Gerard Kelly to has been good, but I don't think he's got that jersey locked down. <clears> Josh Goodhue is the other option there as well, though. So to yeah. me, I think it's just he's probably a player big source that might play. He might start one in four or one in five games yep. as they just kind of continue to build his minutes and keep him interested. Yep. How do you see this one playing out? Great question. I, I reckon that what worries me about the Highlanders is how they started the game against the Chiefs. I thought they were, they looked really out-muscled and they really were struggling to get into the game. And it was only a pretty freakish bounce from a, a kick or, sorry, a deflection from a kick and yep. some absolute brilliance by Jonah Norecki that really got them back into that game. So I think more than likely the Blues will get up on this one. They'll just have a little bit too much physicality, monster the breakdown, monster the scrum. Patrick Tuopolotu running the line out as well. There's not a lot of holes in that forward pack, and I think that'll probably be the difference. Yeah, look, I, I think last week the Highlanders probably had to rely on the recce brilliance, mm. and I just don't think you can do that week in, week out. If they start poorly and the, the Blues can monster that you know breakdown, I think this is going to be a Blues win. And realistically, I think... It could be by a couple of tries. I reckon that the most important player for the Highlanders this week is Josh Dixon because I think that he has been really classy in the locks. Yep. And I think that they're going to have to do something in set piece. I think he's got the ability to control the line out, steal the line out. And that's one area that I could see them contesting if he has a really good game. So yeah. I think he's up for a very, very big game if they're going to actually compete on this one. Fair. Fair. Look, guys, we, we did a different structure for this one. So we've already done our dessert where we're full as a goog, some would say. But thanks for tuning in yet again. And uh, there's some good footy to watch this weekend. Yeah, can't wait. Hooroo. And uh, if you don't want Kagi on the podcast next week, <laughs> let us know. <laughs>